Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In this podcast, we review the 2022-2023 season for the final time this season. This is the Board Breakdown podcast, and this is all your Bora Mash Day chatter in a pot. Support. Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for Craig Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the track. Avanelli coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Avanelli spots out. Hello and welcome to the Borough Breakdown Podcast, the season review show with Johnny Dana and Tom. And we are the Borough Podcast that gives you all of your Borough match day chatter in a podcast. And the season's ended. Middlesbrough finished fourth in the championship and then lose out in the playoff semi-finals to Coventry, who go on to play Luton in the playoff final at Wembley. And breaking our hearts and dreams at the Riverside. And it was all sadness at the end of it. Um, but guys... It's been a couple of weeks um, since we've all recorded together. It's been about over a week since uh, Boris' season finished. But just wanted to get your feelings on the season in general. Uh, Dana, how are you feeling about the 2022-2023 season in as many words as you like? It's difficult to summarise it, I think, because of the way that it ended. That's very much at the forefront of my mind. Of course, on today of all days, we're recording this on Saturday, the 27th of May, in which the playoff final is being played. So it sucks that we're recording our season review show today when we all would have loved and hoped so dearly to be in the capital at Wembley Stadium right now. I guess the season blossomed from the disappointment under Chris Wilder to promise under Michael Carrick and then swung back to disappointment at the very end. But I don't want to focus so much on that feeling of disappointment at the end because I think that certainly in football anyway has connotations that the team have let the fans down and I wouldn't subscribe to that with this team. There is, however, an overarching sense of loss obviously losing the playoff semis, losing the chance to get back into the Premier League, losing a chance to redeem the 2015 playoff final and also the loss of what was genuinely a really good squad to watch and a really likeable squad in that. I was hanging around the car park when the players were exiting and, you know, Alex Moore walked past, Cameron Archer walked past, Ryan Giles was on the far side signing autographs. And I just was overcome by this dreaded sadness of this is the last time that we'll see this squad. And and Carrick mentioned it in his in his post-match. I'm going to cry. No, I'm not. But I, 
in his post match, he said that um, it's sad that this is the last time we'll we'll all be together, and and it's true. You know, this squad was really good to watch, and it was a really effective squad that played really good football. So it's really sad that that was the last time that we saw them together. Um, changes at foot, obviously, and um, we will see what comes of that. There's a bit of anxiety hidden within that. The what ifs, but. Yeah, just a bit sad the way they ended. It's um, not the way that we all wanted it to. It wasn't the way the cookie crumbled, was it? Uh, mm. It wasn't what we wanted it to be. Tom, how are you feeling in as many words as you want? I'm already quite detached from it, to be honest. Um, I was fuming after after the result. Um, no, I actually went down to the concourse a couple of minutes early and just watched the end on the screens because I was just like, I don't want to be up there for hearing them celebrating anything mm. like that. As soon as it hit full time, I was just like, yeah, I'm gone. And <laughs> Tom was out there. <laughs> well, I, got, I, I was back in bed by about half ten, and my dad texted me like as soon as I got back, and he was like, oh, "We're just leaving the car park now." I'm like, "Mint, I'm home." <laughs> I miss well, but um, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've kind of detached myself from it. Like I said, I was, I was fuming straight afterwards, and then I was just like, "Now nah, I'm done with football." So I kind of like really just tried to like throw myself into the the other sports I follow for the summer. And just kind of forget about that. You know, the playoff finals today, personally, I don't care. I say I don't care which one of them goes up. I hope Coventry do it, but I won't be watching it. Uh, for me, the season's like completely over. So that's like a nothing game to me. Um, but looking back on, on the last season, we've seen incredible progress under Michael Carrick. And we've... <laughs> I think going into next season, which is already what what I'm kind of thinking out, uh, thinking about, I'm just kind of hoping the transfer news picks up a bit. Um, in the, we've got a lot to be optimistic about, and I'm really intrigued to see what the squad's going to look like at the start of next season. I think the last two windows we've recruited quite well. I think the the recruitment strategy is spot on now and I think January really uh encapsulated that the uh, the work that was going on between the coaching team and the recruitment team to identify these targets and you're bringing in someone like Cameron Archer the the impact he's had and then the the sign the Baron Ramsey on on deadline day another great impactful player that we've had in the in the running it gives me a lot to be confident about within the summer um so it's just more looking ahead to, to next season now. I think this season's already kind of at the back of my mind and it's something that I'm hoping that we'll have forgotten about by, by the start of next season. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm just looking at a, a transfer news at the moment. I'm not exactly looking forward to the, the first game of the season and I don't think I will until the last pre-season game, which is probably going to be at the Riverside and then you know prepare for another long season in the Championship. But... Yeah, I think the the overriding feeling really is uh, optimism for for next season and, and what we could accomplish. Yeah, there definitely is that optimistic feeling, I think, from fans. And I'm very intrigued to see if we can go maybe one better or two better and see what happens uh, for the for, for next year. But I think this, this year is a little bit different in comparison to, to probably previous years. Um, where we have like one thing which I don't think we've had in a while is that stability across the entire fan base, the the, the playing staff, uh, the coach, and above as well. And obviously we have Kieran Scott in, and man- then we also have a manager in Karaku who kind of wants to be here. There's no underlying 
murmurs that a manager is wanting to go elsewhere. You know, there's not a huge turnover and players appreciate there is a couple of, there's a few loans to, to deal with. And that is natural every season. You are looking to probably bring in four or five players every year near enough. Um, so for me, there's stability. There's also a really good opportunity for us to build on what we've done in the previous season. And although the second leg hurt, um, also watching it in a pub wasn't great. Obviously, being abroad and then you're surrounded by Man City fans one side who are buzzing. You've got Coventry fans on the other side, and then there's like one Borough fan in the entire pub, uh, <laughs> which isn't fun. Um, that in itself was disappointing, but I think just the aspect of it can be painful now, but I think the bigger picture is that everything's a lot brighter than what we might think it is. And I hope that we can kind of improve on it next year and, and see what happens. I've always said, like, since I wrote like an article a couple of years ago around this new way of working, it'll take about three years to probably bear fruit. And this is the third year of it. So I'm hoping we'll have like a really good bit of progress this year and, and see what we can do in the window. But also what I'm excited for is to see what our kits will look like um, in the next <laughs> yes. couple of weeks as well. So will it be a, like a retro... Yeah, the retro green one, which I'm wearing now, or would it be a uh, a funky red one? Who knows? You know, what we're going to do? I'm very intrigued by that. Um, but I'm going to take us back to Coventry, and I know we won't spend too much on it because the season review show is what the, the people have came to see, um, and there's some fantastic things that we've got uh, lined up for it. But then, like, how would you assess the, the playoff semifinals against Coventry? The first leg, we obviously discussed it on the podcast. It was a really good defensive display from Borough that we haven't really seen under Michael Carrick. In fact, we haven't really seen it this season. So it was a big tick in the box, uh, the box that just hasn't really been ticked that often this season, that defensive stability and the concentration of those players that day to mark Jokerez out of the game was really good. We saw Hackney drop back, help more out. Tommy Smith was probably a little bit more conservative in getting forward just to give us that stability at the back. Um, and to keep our shape. So defensively, it was a really good performance uh, at the CBS. There was maybe a slight lack of balance in both sides of the game, uh, defensively and offensively. Our XG was 0.88, which is certainly not nothing, but it's definitely under the standards that we've usually set under Michael Carrick. But perhaps there was a case of Borough not really wanting to overexert themselves in case of losing the game. I think it was... Still, that game, that result was was good, even though the outcome of the playoffs wasn't. I don't want to dabble in revisionism and say that that first leg uh, result was not was not good because I think it was. The second leg was really disappointing because they shut us off completely. They did not give us a sniff every time the ball came in. It was headed or cleared straight back out. And I think it was always going to be a very, very tight contest between the two sides. It was never going to be full of goals. It was always, I, I predicted this before the game that there was only going to be one goal in it for me. And I think if you play that game 10 times, that particular game, I think it's a 50-50 split between who wins, between Coventry and Borough. That's how tight I think it was. And in the end, we could not break them down. And... It's really typical, isn't it? Coventry's first ever win at the Riverside, the first time that they'd won on Teesside since, I believe, 1993. And then also the first time under Michael Carrick that Borough had not scored um, at the Riverside. So talk about 
bad timing. That was incredibly bad timing. And uh, in all honesty, I think I started to, my, my belief started to disappear around 70 minutes because they scored quite early into the second half, didn't they? And then my belief was completely <laughs> wiped away around 70, 75 minutes, where by that point I'd watched 15 minutes of the same rinse and repeat, try to get the ball in the box. Kalmet Fadzun heads it back out and we rinse and repeat start it again. So it was just really difficult for Bora and really disappointing in the end that we didn't show what we're really truly capable of. Yeah. And the last three games, and it's very rare that you played side three times in a row, uh, Tom, but I'm going to throw some stats at you and just to see, just to show you how tight these games were. Um, so on the last day of the season, uh, we drew one all. The XG for, for Bora was 0.73 to, to Coventry is 0.69. There was three shots on target for Bora. There was two shots for Coventry. Bora dominated possession like they did for the three games, 74% to 26%. The first leg at 0-0, uh, away at Coventry, the XG for Coventry was 0.44. Bora doubled that at 0.88. Bora had two shots on target. Coventry didn't have a shot on target at all. Possession, Bora dominant again with the point, uh, sorry, with 61% to 39. And, and then in the second leg, Middlesbrough better the XG again for the third game in a row to 1.35 versus Coventry's 1.07. Uh, we had one shot on target. They had two shots on target. For a 68 possession to 32. So a similar pattern possession-wise, low XG scoring games. It was incredibly tight, but you always think that there was like a mistake which was going to dictate these type of games. Yeah, I think I said it in the uh, the preview show um, for the second leg, I believe it was the one that, that Matt was on. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I could just see us having to commit a little bit too much from playing at home. And my worry on that show was that Coventry were going to hit us on the break and get a goal and it would be 1-0. And it's the saddest I've been to to be <laughs> right about something. But um, you know, that, that's the prediction this season. I wish I hadn't got right. So, yeah, I, I mean, the first game, very much like a chess match, Um it, it was it was difficult for for both teams to to fashion any chances. I thought we had a good result going into the second leg, but as as you mentioned there, all all three games were were very similar in terms of xG. We might have had the the more possession, but they were good on the counter attack, and ultimately ultimately it's it's their strength that that's paid off and not ours. Mm. And like with like obviously their strength as well in terms of like getting getting you on the break and having that box midfield in the, in the second game, you know, that allows you to try and take advantage of, of mistakes in itself. But do you think balance of the of the two legs, do you think Coventry were probably the deserving side to go through? I, I don't know. I think you can make an argument either way. You know, if we mm. put away a couple of our chances in the in the first leg, if Akpom hadn't hit the bar and, you know, we're coming away from that that with, with a 1-0 win or something, then, you know, it's a completely different story. On the basis of the second leg, I can't argue for anything other than you know Coventry deserved to go through. I think especially in the second half, they came out and they looked like a team who wanted to go through. We didn't, and that's that. I think is where they won the game. Second half, we never got going, and and whatever was said to them in the dressing room just seemed to fire them up. Yeah, um, I, th- I thought it was a really like, interesting like couple of games. Really, I think from obviously the playoffs with Coventry going through with a deserving. Probably um, from from the creative chance of taking advantage of the mistakes, but I think what really interested me like over the last three games, and I think it's very rare that 
you play someone three times in a row um, because it's going to have similarities. You're going to have nullification of, of, of attacks and systems. And what really interested me over the three games, I've already played three different systems. Um, in, in the first game, it was like more of like a, a, a 3 2 5 kind of where you had Lenahan, McNair, and then you had like your two in midfield, and then you had Smith very, very out wide, and then you had like a five up front, which you can kind of argue to 3 2 5, really. But in the second game, which in the first game of the of the second of, of the playoffs, was we actually we actually became very uh, defensive and opted to play more of a four. So we switched like a four two four with our wing backs playing probably the deepest they've played for the majority of the season. And I thought we we had a bit more and obviously we we narrowed our, our wingers to to play and have more of an emphasis in the central areas and like the half space. And that's really key really. I think that fully nullified uh Coventry's attack and when we were saying earlier Tom around um a true rack pump taking that chance if he did score the whole game state changes and then Bora probably go on to maybe win the tie. I think I just thought we were really defensively solid that game and hope it was just one of those things where if we put it in the back of the net, then that was, I think that was it. But then in the third game, we shifted again and we shifted to more of like a, more of like a two, four, four and like an appreciate. You can even say it's like a four, two, four, or it, this is how we kind of set up in like the average positions. And the four and the two four four and the one big difference we had again for Coventry in the first two games to now uh, was how deep they dropped because I think they expected Bora to have way more possession uh, than we anticipated it to be. They wanted us to probably play with a lot more width um, because they were trying to control the central areas, and they introduced a box midfield, which was the first time they did that for the um, for the three games. And I think the aim is when you do play like a numerate uh, like a a three a three five two or that box midfield is that just the center area of the pitch and if you try and control that and if Bora make a mistake you've got four players straight away to kind of bomb forward and counter attack you and create an advantage and they do that in in that game against us but there was like an idea for me and this is this is just obviously a, an idea in itself this is not me kind of saying Michael Carrick's wrong this isn't me saying Michael should Michael Carrick should change the complete way of, of managing the team but I had an idea and a thought of how Bora played in that second leg. And I thought we could have slightly tweaked our system from from that game. So like we went we had like a 2-4-4, but I was thinking we could have could have probably played with a 3-2-5. Um and the 3-2-5 is just a small change. It's around positional play as well. But you essentially just put Tommy Smith into more of like that half space region, have like a three at the back. You play with width of of Giles and Force, then you've also got McGree uh, Akpom in those half spaces, and then uh, and then Cameron Archer up top. Like the the three two five in itself um, is really ideal for a side that wants to have like possession of the ball, and that what it allows you to do when you do play this type of system. I've just kind of made a a different view of it to to kind of emphasise what a three two five would look if it was like in a perfect world. Um, but that allows you to have like an occupation of like all the five lateral zones. So like the wide space, half space, central space, half space, wide space. Um, and then what it allows you to do is have a lot of uh, good spacing and balance between uh, teams, allows you to create overloads and have security in like those deep central areas as well, which um, Coventry had in that game. And I think the best it's it kind of gives you the best of both worlds really so it gives you like the tight control um when you're in defense it allows you to like exploit defensive transitions 
allows you to like get the ball dynamically forward. Um, it allows you to essentially just establish control. And I think that's what Bora needed to do. And to be honest, I don't think we had control of that game for long periods. And I just think if we were able to have that three and then play with two eights uh, heads and nullify that box, I think we were able to probably create more tran- like those fake transitions which we, which we spoke about in the game. And I think teams really do tend to struggle with that type of movement. But all it was, it's a slight tweak. The idea is really just can we try to invert our centre back, uh, our full back instead of maybe utilising that wide. And if you're looking at like a, a Man City team or a Pep side, like a Man City side with, with, with Pep, he uses full-backs, but I was, um, so it's more of like a central, like these as like centre-backs, and then he brings them in. But for us, you're able, you're all, all you're doing really is just putting Smith in, and that just created different angles for us to try and get in that central area and then push through the transition and then hopefully get in the half space and create more chances. But, it wasn't to be really. We didn't really do much in in that in that second game, and Middlesbrough went out, and it was very sad. And it is what it is. Um, but should we move on to the season review show? Because this is what the fans have came to see. Um, and to be honest, I thought let's let's maybe cheer ourselves up. You know, um, let's have a look at some bold predictions because at the start of the season we do a review we do a season preview show and we go this might happen this might happen who's going to finish where who's going to score the most goals we just give our bold predictions and we had a look back at these and we thought they were really funny so we thought we'd share them with you as well so here are our bold predictions for the 2022-2023 season this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive in june Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Tom, what's going to be your bold uh, prediction this season? I've, I've got a good one for this this season. We finally become a threat from corners and live up to our set-piece specialist uh, <laughs> reputation that we have on Sky. Mine is... I think I think Lenahan will outscore Duncan Watmore this season. I've gone for that a Borough striker will reach fifteen goals. But not twenty though. Not not the Bernie Slaver no, record. I'm not, no. no, I'm not I'm not stretching it. I can't stre- I can't bring myself to stretch it that far. <laughs> uh, see, Let yeah. Lenahan's gonna outscore Watmore. To be fair, I mean, I was adamant that he would have probably scored what I scored what more this year. But to be fair, don't know what more's not here anymore. So mm. uh, I was close to mine. Um, yeah, you were. I was close. pretty. I was pretty. I was warm with mine. I wasn't confident enough to say twenty, but yeah, I was. I was almost there. Man, yeah. age like milk. It was like me picking Sammy Amiobi <laughs> as a surprise package last year. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, Tom, you could have used recency bias there and just said that uh, since we scored a set piece in the last day of the season, we have now become that set piece team. Well, um, I mean, our first goal under Carrick came from a set piece. We thought, we thought at that point it might have had potential, and then nah, just <laughs> never, never since. Yeah. We've absolutely had a stinker there, haven't we? Like all three, all three of us. We've, well, no, to, be fair, me. Not, not yeah, me. to be fair, yeah, you said 15. <laughs> you, two, you two have. To be honest, though, I, no one could have imagined two rack pumps scoring uh, that they are breaking the record. Not a chance. And to be oh. fair, he nearly doubled the prediction as well, which is also insane mm. early goods, um, which kind of leads me on to more of like a higher point of the season. Um what were your high po- high points of the 2022-23 season, Tom? Um, is there a specific performance, a moment, uh, a, a, a chip, chips and gravy? Is it what? What was your high point? High point of the season? Oh, my high point was also at the same <laughs> place. But, um, <laughs> it was uh, Sheffield United away. Um, you know, went to that game. Great performance. Great atmosphere. No chip buddies, thankfully. Uh, high point, and then. Yeah, just um <laughs> what made this pint so good? I wanna know. What made I, this pint so know, good? It, it was a carlin and a spoons, alright. Like it wasn't Oh that no. Good. That's shocking. <laughs> shocking. But we we all we all remember that game. Hell of a performance from Borough to to go up to the team that was second in the league, looking like like they were potentially slipping at that point and just absolutely play them off the park. It was it was fantastic, and then just to to really top off the evening, the close the M1 coming out uh, out of Sheffield, so we had to take a detour through Wakefield with a borough bus behind us, got to drive past the the best shop in Wakey Tesco, and <laughs> yeah, just all, overall great great night for uh, for football that one. Yeah, and. To be fair, I'm going to say it was mine as well, the Sheffield United away one. I thought we were amazing that second half. Um, and I just thought, God, we could go on a, on a, on a proper run again, even more so, and then maybe challenge for the uh, for, for the second spot. But we kind of fell away at the end. But the second one, I was going to say Norwich at home. I thought that was the one game where I was absolutely blown away at how good we were. That first half was insanely good. Um I couldn't believe what I was watching. So they were two, my two high points. Uh, Dana Moore, what was yours? I'm going to echo what you mentioned about Chef United there. And I think 
that was significant within the season, wasn't it? Because at that point we were chasing down Sheffield United and we effectively kick-started a bit of a bad period for them based on that that game. That second half performance was fantastic. The turnaround, Tuba's goal, the the counter-attacking, it felt really, really important within the season. And obviously in the end, it didn't mean anything in terms of the actual outcome of the campaign, but you've got to celebrate those moments, don't you? I think there's a belief in football that these celebrations have to equal success, you know, be it a title winning campaign or promotion or safety from the threat of relegation. But if those moments were nothing because they didn't end in success, then we'd be miserable. So that's the joy of football. Those moments like that, those games like that, Carrick celebrated at the end, it felt really, really important. And there's a few Sheffield United fans that have dipped back into that podcast that we recorded after that. Little do they know that the more that they comment and poke fun at Borough for that game not actually equaling anything, they're actually lying in our pockets some more because that <laughs> video is monetized. So keep commenting, basically. But yeah, I'm going to say the, the, the Blackburn game um, away from home. I love that interval pe- period between Christmas and New Year in football, the 26th, the Boxing Day game, and it's usually on the 29th as well. Um, I went to that game and obviously we were a goal down. We came back from behind and it featured what is now my favourite goal of the season. I know I said that Isaiah Jones' goal against Blackburn with Blackpool was my favourite. It's now Riley McGree's lovely cushion mid-air volley against Blackburn. That was a fantastic goal. And that felt really significant within itself because we'd not long come back from the World Cup break. And it was a... A team, I think Blackburn honestly were higher than us in the table at that point. They were maybe about third or fourth, something like that. It was a bit of a false mm-hmm. position, let's be honest. But it felt like a really significant performance in which that was probably the the time, the point in which I thought, this is a really, really good team. Um, beyond the the Norwich game, obviously, that that um, we went into the, the World Cup break with that win. But that Blackburn game, I think, was was really good. And uh the, the away end was fantastic as well. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that's the high point, just to give a little bit of difference from that Sheffield United game. And you you've seen us win at uh, Ewood Park as well, Dylan, which is also another high point as well. Last last season where mm. we went and I think we think we had a shot on target that night and we were in and I nearly walked that. into the men's toilets because I was following you yeah. too. Uh, I mean, yeah, I was bit, that, was, that was a bit weird, but you know, we we got past that as uh, as well as friends and yeah, we, we grew that day. <laughs> we grew that night, you know, as people. Um, and obviously, McDonald's was shot on the way home as well, wasn't it? So that really rounded it, everything off. Um, God, that was a that was an eventful day. It was, um, but for all the highs, there has to be lows, um, and we have a low point of this season as well. So, Tom, what was your low point of the season? Where did you feel the most low? No, it's just happens. The uh, second leg of the, the playoff semi-final. Uh, after that, general feeling was just like I'm done with football. Like I, I don't even want to see another football until, well, probably yesterday when when I played at the Riverside again, and I forgot all about that. But um, yeah, uh, it, it was just the the feeling after that was just generally like I, I, I can't be asked like. I don't even want to think about next season and, and 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 stuff like that. It was just not a, not a great feeling after after that game, and I, I don't think that compares to any other game of the season for me. Yeah, it was a bit of a signal, wasn't it? And Dana Mollett, what is was your low point of the season? 
I'm going to say Huddersfield away because, again, at that point, we were chasing down Sheffield United. It felt, and I might have even said this on one of the episodes, that it was inevitable that we were going to overtake them at some point. It was just about whether or not we could sustain that and maintain that position. Obviously, in the end, that aged rather badly because we didn't get second at any point during the season. It didn't overtake Sheffield United. But that game, I know that in the end... Huddersfield were charting much better under Neil Warnock than previously in the season. They were one of the worst performing teams in the league before he came in and, and did his thing. But still, a better performing Huddersfield should not have been taking points from a Borough side that at that point had won eight out of their last 10 games. We had lost to uh, West Brom and then drew to Stoke. They were the exceptions to that. So going into that game, and we were one up as well, the capitulation within an eight-minute period in that second half was essentially the the burning paper towards our second-place hopes. That was what shut the door on it for me. And when you follow that game up with a matchup against champions elect, as, as it was at that point, Burnley, the bounce-back ability is going to be really tested there. And I did not expect Borough to win that game against Burnley. So back-to-back defeats really significant within the season, significant within our automatic promotion hopes. And that was just a really, really disappointing game that we lost mm. because of that eight-minute period of complete chaos. Um, and it, yeah, it, it was shit. It was shit. <laughs> yeah. I hate you, Neil Warnock. Why did you do that to us again? I just hate losing to that man. And, that, and obviously that is mine, that losing to Huddersfield. I'm not talking about it anymore, and everyone knows why. Um, but in terms of uh, signings of the season as well, you know, every year we have a we have a sign of the season, and there's some good, there's some bad. You know, Aaron Connolly was horrendous last year, um, but <laughs> our signing of the season, uh, Tom, who are you going to go for? Because you know we brought in a lot of people this year. Um, recruitment was pretty much spot on for mid most part, but who gets you? Who gets your crown for this year? For me, even though he's let down my bets consistently for most of the season, it's Daryl Lenahan. Um, I just feel like, as a defender, he's everything we've been wanting in a signing for, for the last few years. Managers are coming in and complaining about lack of leadership in the squad, and you know Neil Warner mm. brings in Grant Hall and his you know <laughs> te- teeth that are far too white for a centre-half in the championship, and then he's not the answer to it, and... <laughs> It, you know, we, we've we've tried a few times to to find the answer to that, but I feel like Daryl Lenahan has answered that well. He was, you know, it, it was a bit of a, a coup picking him up from from Blackburn uh, after you know he he's just left there as their captain, like well liked there for for a number of years, and you know, start of the season, I don't think anyone looked good in that Wilder system. But he's just he's just grown into into that role and into the team so much over the course of the season where, you know, he would be a massive miss if he wasn't in the team. Um, and you know, I, I don't know if going into next season, Housen will be a, a consistent starter. He's more than capable of replacing him as captain and as and when he's needed. Yeah, he has been an exceptional signer, hasn't he? Like, I feel like every uh, I echo everything that you say there, Tom, around what he brought to the group and how he's continuously improved. Moving to a back four has probably helped him significantly as well. And, you know, it's it's just, I think, helped him come on even more so. And hopefully we see more and more of of how good he is next year as well. Definitely echo your thoughts on on him taking over house as captain as well, which would be interesting to see. But, Dan, who gets your signing of the season crown? 
I'm going to go with Ryan Giles. I don't think Borough could have cherry-picked a player more perfect for them than Ryan Giles in the summer. When you think back to that Chris Wilder system, wanting mm. a really high attacking output chance creator uh, as uh, in that position, Ryan Giles was there and available. And I think it speaks volumes that even all three of us, I believe, put us in our little transfer list in the summer, which we do purely for th- for th- for th- for fun, sorry, for fun. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a struggle, boss. Um, yeah, for fun, and he was just per- <laughs> he was just absolutely perfect for this system. So I know that defensively at times he's been questioned, but I do think that <clears throat> towards the end of the season, sorry, he was much better defensively than what he was given credit for. I think he definitely improved his defensive contributions to this team and obviously 11 assists this season, the most um, assists since Adama Traore back in 2017-18. Just good to have somebody like that. And I wrote this in my my blog after the game against Coventry. It's good to have players that we once really hoped that we would have. Uh, Looking enviously at teams that have these assets that we have owned this season, that I think is really good to good to have that sort of um, opinion of these players mm. so yeah I've gone for Ryan Giles for me do you think we'll see him again in the Borussia next season next season do? I yeah I think we've got a good chance when I looked at his career history there's a lot of lords Shrewsbury Coventry Rotherham Cardiff ourselves just to name a few I think there's it's probably time now for Wolves to really evaluate whether they want to play him or whether they want to sell him. And I think he's at the age now at 23 where he probably just wants to go out and play football and find his like home, if you will. Mm. So I do think we've got a decent chance of getting him back and seeing him back here next season. Yeah, I think on our season preview show, or the one where we spoke about uh, transfers, I think I mentioned on, on that one as well, where I said it was, it's about time that he got a permanent move. And... Mm. You know, this could be the year. Who knows? I'd be intrigued to see where he ends up. Um, but if he wants to create chances and, you know, and be a, a good left back for a team in red, then look no further than, than us. Um, but I want to go for someone who signed in January and it's Cameron Archer. Um, I think he was absolutely amazing uh, for us at the second half of the season, you know, to stack up what he did in terms of goal contributions uh, he was kind of like the the final piece of the puzzle uh, under Carrick, and he just made us into a a free scoring Boris side, which is unheard of. And <laughs> his ability is so so good, and he's only going to go one way, and it's up in my opinion. And I think that the Coventry games, you can argue that you know he wasn't really seen much, and he didn't really impact the game as we wanted him to. And that is just, and to do a football cliche, is part and parcel of football where, uh, you know, you just not, all, you, you sometimes have weaknesses against certain teams and strengths against others. They just nullified him, but they nullified him in so many different ways, you know, with the three at the back and then also putting Kelly on him as well at times and then just trying to, just to nullify his, his impact. And it's just one of those things. But for me, sign of the season, even though he's only played half of it, half of it he's just been tremendous and I can only see him going to a Premier League club next year unfortunately whether that's at Aston Villa he could be he could go to a Burnley which I think would uh, work really well for him so we'll see we'll see on that one but in terms of 
player of the year. Um, this was a bit of an easy one for us, so I can feel like I can announce this one. Um, but our player of the year for the Borough Breakdown in the 2022-23 season is... Chubarakpawey! There we go. Chubarakpawey, um, congratulations. You are the recipient of our Player of the Year award. So congratulations to you. Um, but 29 goals for Chuba this season, unheard of. Burnley Slayer's record has been banished and now Chuba will be setting up a stall in the Cleveland Centre <laughs> from next week. So get your books signed. Um, but the question I've got for you guys... Um, can he go again next season and will he be able to replicate what he's done? So Tom, what do you think? Can, can Tuba go again and maybe hit that 20 goal a season, Mark? I feel like he could in this system. Um, I feel like this year he's definitely had the right attitude towards this. Um, always, always learning, learn about his teammates and re- you can really kind of see that effort. And I, I think that he could uh, replicate it next season. There's always a bit of a risk that he won't. I think we we had a similar thing with um, Isaiah Jones last season compared to this season as well. Whereas last season, getting to the summer, we had quite a few teams linked with him and we were all like, nah, we wouldn't ever want to get rid of Jones in this system. He's done so well. And then this year, he hasn't done as well. His stock's probably gone down a little bit. And you're looking back on last season, that was the prime time to, to kind of cash in at that point especially in this this kind of new sustainable model that we have. So I think there's always going to be like a, a question there throughout the summer of do we cash in on Tuba now? Um, because, I mean, look, looking at the season he's just had, um, the age that, that he's at at the moment, he's he's probably not going to get too many chances from here, uh, too many chances more from here, sorry, uh, to play Premier League football. So... If a team from the Premier League came in for him for for the figures that are being reported, we might have to kind of let him go and then reinvest that. But I think if he was to stay here, then he's got the right attitude and the the right uh, sort of character to replicate that next season. Would you sell him if you got fifteen million from Tom? I mean, I try and negotiate higher, but <laughs> I probably <laughs> accept that that it would be difficult to to keep hold of him uh, at that sort of offer or, or higher. I think just for for the sake of his career and and also looking at at the model we've uh, adopted now over the last couple of years, the sales that we made in Spence have and your potentially Akpom that all works really well in this sort of sustainable model, and you've seen success prior to it with uh with Brentford as as a great example of this and as sad as it is you know they will become like fond of players um you know they've had quite a few decent strikers over the years so much so that you know I, I can't think of many off the top of my head now but like um you know Morpai played for them I'm I'm yeah. think I'm right in that before he played for Brighton and um Watkins oh, Watkins that was it yeah and, and then they've they've ended up with um, with Ivan Tony, um, who's you know, obviously got them to the Premier League, and um, you know ha- has become a figure in that that team up until obviously what's what's recently happened with him. But it never seemed to last more than than around a year at a time when they were in the Championship. It'd be like they sell a striker for big money, then bring someone else in, and then they have the same success, and then rinse and repeat. Mm. So if if we had to do the same thing. Um, I think all all I'd expect is that we 
you know, try and get the same results from that. And we're not just kind of like pocketing the money and, and not replacing him with, with anyone kind of decent or anything like that. We'll reinvest him in you, Tom. We'll play you up top. We'll play the no, don't don't do that. Strike strike into feet. Uh, Unless you oh. want Uche Mark Two, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, on to Medina. Um, well, one can he go again, and then two. Uh, what value is he in your opinion for Bora? Like in terms of valuations, go. Is there a specific fee that you would try and command? if he was to go? Oh, that's difficult, I think, because not only is it their probable actual value, but it's also the value to the team. They're not... Any potential suitors wouldn't be playing for potential because Tuber's... I wouldn't say in the prime of his career because prime is... It could be whenever, it could be whatever age. Mm. But he's 27 now, isn't he? So I think... You, you're probably just paying for what you've seen this season and plus adding on top of it what what he's worth to Middlesbrough. I don't know, to be honest. So I'll park that there. The first question about can he repeat it? I think if Giles comes back or if we replace Giles effectively in that we have someone that is a consistent chance creator, then I would be fairly confident. Obviously, there's more chance, crea- chance creators in this team than Giles, but them two linked up really well uh, the season just gone. Only Victor Jokeres and Gustavo Hammer linked up. Well, actually, they, they, they're on the same five goals um, that Ryan Giles provided for Tuberat Pom, five goals that Hammer provided for Victor Jokeres. So I think that's a really important dynamic between the two of them because as Tuber came out and said, you know, he, he studies Ryan Giles' game and, and that definitely reaped the rewards. I mean, he'll probably, if, if another, if a Ryan Manning comes in, for example, I know he's a free agent and would be a very good replacement for Giles if he comes in then I'm sure Tuber will study his game just as much as he studied Giles so I think in this system in this way of playing I could definitely see him maybe not hitting the same heights but I could definitely see him getting into double figures um, and taking it from there but also the back of my mind is that very pessimistic Borough fan where it's like this is too good to be true and it won't happen again so I really don't know yeah, who knows? Only Tuba will know uh, that the answer to that. But in terms of like him and what he's done this year, I think it's absolutely sensational uh, to come in, switch positions as well halfway through the season and just flourish is an incredible feat. And congratulations to him. And I'm, I'm sure whatever happens to him in the summer, whether he's at the club or not, I feel like he's going to be, uh, he's just a massive asset to us and be an asset to any team that he plays for because I think he's just in a really good moment uh, in his career and credit to him, fantastic. But let's move on um, to podcast moment of the season. So, you know, we have some great moments on this podcast, whether it's in, in episodes or it could be out of the episodes, it could be us walking down the street, it could be anything at all. But, um, you know, we have podcast moments. Uh but yeah, what, what was our podcast moment of the season, guys? Because we have we have loads that happen. Really, it could be a funny moment or not. But is there anything that you're sp- specifically proud of? Um, Dana Malt, is what's your podcast moment of the season? Yeah, I'm gonna say just because it's you know it's obviously close to home and, and personal to me. Uh, raising three thousand and exceeding that actually for the Modern Urine Disease Association, the fundraiser that we ran for the past two seasons. 
again i keep saying it but just a huge huge thank you to everybody that has donated it's just amazing to see that amount of money being raised for such an amazing charity so yeah personally i think that one is definitely um my highlight of the season and the ftas of course we'll we'll get onto that i'll probably let you two talk about that a little bit more but yeah the the money that we've raised and the awareness as well just brilliant for the motor neuron disease association they are a brilliant brilliant charity yeah it really is and that, that's me uh pitch uh, our three thousand pound target as well uh so i know you mentioned it as well Dave. but we just do want to say a, a big thank you everyone that's donated to us um it's a huge achievement for us and uh we just we just want to say like the money that we've we've raised goes so far with this charity and it's just been a pleasure to raise money for them as well and we'll try and continue that next season but we will be giving the money over at the end of the the season but also if you want us to help surpass the target even more, you can also buy some Borough Breakdown merch. It uh, comes with the Malt Curse uh, t-shirt, which if you want to curse all your friends with you, I would recommend getting that. We've got some mugs, <laughs> some teas, and loads of fun stuff as well. And you can get that on uh, the T-Side website. So it's www.t-side.co.uk. Then you'll see the Borough Breakdown stuff on there. And T-Side Tom is such a great guy. Um, and also, if you just wanted to donate, if you're looking to watch us on YouTube and have your phone handy, you can press it uh, go on the qr code as well but also the link is in the bio of this podcast and also in the youtube descriptions uh below um but tom i mean i already know what your uh prediction is because i'm looking at my notes but uh i think we should have a discussion about it anyway but the fcas um we well, no, i was gonna nominate. say you spoiled mine in your intro because it was when we were walking down the street the other day but the FCA, <laughs> fcas were, were such a, a random mention <laughs> i was walking hey. down the street well you know we well when we go and get coffee sometimes one of us might trip over or you know it's just little moments like that you know a podcast is more than a podcast it could be in our telegram chat with over 360 Bora fans chatting everything but Bora you can free to join just by clicking the link below it's another push uh, for that and you get all of your news uh, from that as well just by joining the chat but anyway Tom uh, sorry walking down the street is your moment of the year is it yeah yeah and then the FCA's is a, a close second as well um, I just think to, to be nominated and go to that event um, with some very recognisable names there as well. It was just incredible um, for a bit of background for anyone listening or, or watching the first time I was uh, I, I was on Borough Breakdown. Was, you know, I was in the kitchen at work. Johnny comes in. He was like, oh, Elliot's off tonight. Do you want to fill in? And then we went to like a, a small room at the back of Teesside Uni to, oh no, it was Dana that was off and then it was I, I was filling in with uh, Johnny and Elliot. But um, yeah, small room at the back of Teesside Uni and, and, and recorded on um, Snowball Mike back then. Yeah, Snowball Mike, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so to in that time to have gone from, from there to recording at, at you know, the studio at Red Army Radio and then getting our current setup now and, and StreamYard and that it's grown that much to, to the, the point where we've been nominated for an award, we've been on like ITV and stuff on, on the, the run-up to it and, you know, had some great coverage. It was, it, it didn't faze me at the time, but looking back on it now, pretty surreal. It was good, wasn't it, um, to to be nominated for the award? I remember I was sitting on the table with the the Birmingham City lot, which was quite good. <laughs> and we just, yeah, it was it was a great night for us as well. Obviously, going to spoons afterwards and just having a, a drink to be like, oh, we didn't win, but oh well, it was great to be nominated. That was also <laughs> great. And obviously, Matt joined us on the night, who does all all of our graphics. So shout out to Matt uh, for helping us out for that for, is that for that as well. But yeah, FCS has to be the the podcast of the season for us. I think. 
if we can go and get nominated again next year and hopefully get one better or more and try and win the whole thing, that'd be great for us. So just want to thank, thank everyone for voting for us as well because we uh, really appreciate that in terms of our listeners and viewing figures. They've been off the charts for most of the season. So just want to say thank you for that um, as well. But as we move on uh, and to the to the award, really, that I think everyone's here for today um, is, the, is the knee slide of the season. Uh, we introduced that this year, the knee slide club. Um, and there's been some wonderful, wonderful knee slides. Um, you know, with goals comes knee slides. And Tom, who gets your knee slides of the season? Uh, plenty of goals to choose from, plenty of knee slides to, to look at. So who gets yours? Um, so I've gone with Hayden Hackney against Norwich. Um, I was looking at quite a few different uh, Cameron Archer knee slides where he does the the whole bow off his, his back thing. I uh, feel like that really kind of kind of adds something to it. But that knee slide right there, um, you know, proper kind of like power slides. Um, mm. And, you know, you could just see the... The amount that's gone into that, you know, scoring your first goal at the Riverside, there was a lot of kind of like passion in that knee slide. So, got to be that one. Yeah, it's a good knee slide as well. You can definitely see that he's been practicing that one in the in the change in the not in, in the training in training ground. It's a changing rooms. Could be, you know, I the hope like. He's not. Yeah, well, to be fair, they could, you know, like get some grease down or like maybe put some ice in the. I, I can, I can tell you is right now because from playing there last night, there's a bit at the back of the changing room which is all astro turf, and mm. you know that there's enough there to to practice knee slides on. So it wouldn't surprise <laughs> me if they had been having knee slide training in that dressing room. Can you imagine? Yeah, put some knee That's pads on thought. so you don't get the burn from the from the astro. I mean, we well. we all did it, so like you know, the temptation must be there. Well, it's got to be absolutely. Um, Dana, you do you you were the the advocate for the knee slides, um, but who gets yours? Easy one for me. I've mentioned it many times on this podcast. It's Mr. Marcus Force against Blackpool. I was there. I got it on camera as well. It's just an amazing knee oh, slide. Lovely. He swoops. He mm. lands it well. Hackney jumps on his back. It was a fantastic day. Fantastic knee slide that should never have been because it was a dive and it shouldn't have been a penalty, but. <laughs> It was a fantastic knee slide nonetheless. So that one gets my crowning of Dana's knee slide of the season. Yeah, I think I'm going to round us off uh, for knee slide of the season. And I'm going to go with Cameron Archer against Norwich. Um, and I think there's a few reasons for this one. Um, so what he's able to do, he's, he's casual, he's casual, casual. There, there you go. It's the moment where it's just <laughs> there. Day. Where it just want to stop it, it there. It, yeah. So what what he's doing um, is he's just a casual little running, and then he goes, you know what? Here comes the ball, but he's not thinking about the ball. He's thinking about the slides, and it's just all about this the slow knee slide, but also the ability uh, to get the ball an hour out as well. And for me, I think that is that's something to be proud of. That and. You know, I think he's going to go back to Aston Villa and maybe show all his friends that one. But for me, um, that's probably that's probably the one uh, of the season that I'm, I'm most proud well, if, of. If, uh, if Aaron's watching, Aaron, let Cameron know that was a good knee slide. Yeah, so Aaron, uh, if, I don't know if you, if you are watching as well. If you want to do a knee slide and send them in, <laughs> um, you can send them in at the board break on hotmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> Get all the archers doing knee slides. We, we, yeah, we and to be fair to the listeners and the viewers, well, if you want to send us in your knee slides, um, we're not like you be framed where we can give you two hundred fifty pound per knee slide, um, <laughs> but it would just be quite funny. Uh, so if you want to do that, then absolutely go for it. Um, if you could do it and send it in the Telegram chat, that'd even be more funny. 
Um, but yeah, guys, uh, just around this show off, um, we have some unreal moments on this podcast and people probably aren't aware that we, we pretty much do this in one take uh, and things happen. Uh, we edit stuff. This podcast, we've had to edit stuff out probably because uh, this mad stuff has happened. We have bloopers and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, but we've got a highlight reel for you to, to look out of what we've done this season. And uh, I just want you to say, enjoy this four minutes of, of highlights. This is the Bora Breakdown podcast, and this is like Bora Mash Day Chatter in a pod. I would rather us be patient and get the right manager than jump into another one like we did with Tony Pulis, for example, and have him on speed dial and be like, hi, Steve, do you want to take the job? Hi, Steve. Uh, also, do you have any milk? Um, <laughs> I'll give you a back tomorrow. It's all right. The third one as well from NG, which is the worst one, but I don't even want to break that one down because I think you can just say one word for that, and that was absolutely crap. That's two Well, words. that's two words. Yeah. <laughs> How would you assess the situation with Paddy and Dykesdale? Who fits the role better? Tom, do you want to quickly say yes or no? Yes. Yes, I'm not. Yes, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> like um, I, I think it's something I. I absolutely butchered that, didn't I? As well. But someone gave him the ball, and mm. he just pretty much turned on the spot and, and took one of the uh, Bristol Fair players out, well. out of the game. I didn't see him fall over, but. Um... <laughs> <laughs> the present place is the place we give praise to a, a player, fan, chips and gravy, chips curry. Dana's hairdresser, Thomas Matthews, the palm I had last night, which was absolutely banging, Dana's lovely pink hair, and more. It's the present place. It's where we praise everything. Dana, what? Who gets your uh, place in the present place this week? I feel like I already know the answer to this. You don't. I do. Ryan Ryan McRae. McRae, it? Oh. <laughs> oh, no. I thought you were going to say Matt Crooks. It was like Harry Potter and the Wizard of Oz. Like, Oz is in Australia, obviously. Because it was like he was picking up so many good positions. That was terrible, wasn't it? Um, I, I just don't know where you're going with that. Like Harry Potter and the Wizard of Oz. The, it's the most ambitious crossover since Avengers yeah. Endgame. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's actually Crooks' position that I'm probably most worried about because Crooks does pick up a lot of yellow cards. Speaking of Matt Crooks, sponsored by Clinton's cards, um, he's <laughs> our only right side of it. Tom, who gets your place? Um, well, is it is it Dorothy, you know, the Tin Man, the, the, the Lion? Are you going to keep with the Wizard of Oz theme? Or are you going to yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's Dorothy Lenahan. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I was loving that Dorothy Lenahan. Where the... <laughs> it should have been Dorothy, but, you know, I'm over to her. What's going on? Oh, God. <laughs> I think probably the most entertaining part of that game was when Rory the Lion took a penalty. <laughs> He looked so dejected walking off after that as well, by the way. <laughs> he had his head down when he was walking off. Kids were trying to shake hands with him. He didn't want any of this. <laughs> Can we talk about Cameron Scott's pink flamingo tie, please? And the fact that he was aiming subtle snipes at Chris Wilder whilst sporting that tie was absolutely excellent. <laughs> Bet your head of football can't do that. <laughs> I'm in agreement with all, all three, all two years as well, because... Who's the third person? Tom, do you have any positives that you want to take? No, not really. No, what? I'm right, let's move on. on. He looked really solid. Build a house on him, as I, as I did. Uh, the tweet is, uh, as in, I did. As I did build a detached house on Liam Roberts. Tom on the defeat. Do you think it was should have been a defeat? Do you think it was a correct result? Because we had some big chances yesterday. No, I mean, the result's lying. <laughs> um, yeah, there is a football quiz on there. We're going. I'm not going to be wearing uh, this pelican tie, um, but it's going to be. It's a really good pelican. night. It's, yeah, it's a flamingo. A flamingo. It's the same thing. <laughs> it is the same thing. 
sums up the entire kind of history at uh, Bramble Lane. Uh, Bramble Lane, not Bramble. But, um... <laughs> the Bramble Lane. 0.02 expected goals from set players, which is like having a packet of crisps, it's just air, which is just packet of crisps anyway. That's just what Walker's doing nowadays. It's Tony Pulis. We had Aiden Flint. Really, we should have been, he should have been in, he should have been the first Borough player to win 20 goals since Bernie Slaven in that <laughs> Tony Pulis season. It shouldn't have been left to Akpom to do. Tom, do you want to take this one? If you unmute his mic, if you, you if you unmute yourself, Tom. Um, <laughs> it was in full swing then. Did well. not even realise that. <laughs> oh, I need to go back. It's, to like, it's like a Zoom call today, this. It's it like a is. Zoom call. It's not the end of the world, right? I'm feeling more like that this morning. I've had to rip up the Caracal banner that I already had made after, <laughs> after the match yesterday. But This has been the Borough Breakdown podcast, and that was like a Borough Match Day chatter in the pod. Come on, Borough! <laughs> Sorry, I had to end it like that. Up the board breakdown. Uh, it's all fun and games on this podcast. Up the board breakdown. Eh? Um, there's some quality moments in that as well, isn't there? Like, and there's obviously stuff we've put in, put in there, but uh, there's some absolute classic stuff. Um, you know, we've had some great moments. Like, even on this podcast as well, I think one of my personal highlights as well is when, I know it sounds funny, but then when you're on T's and your voice broke, that would crack Oh, no, don't, don't. Uh, um, that was so bad. I've got that clip right now. I haven't really. I don't really. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. no, I'm joking. But yeah, it's some great moments, guys. So I hope you've enjoyed that as well. But that's it from us. Uh, another season done and another season in the championship for Borough. But are we done? Are we done for the summer? Of course we're not. We've got a lot of content coming out over the next few weeks. Uh, some hopefully some lowdowns. Uh, a new series which we're going to be releasing called maybe um, we was thinking about names, but loaning away. Maybe who knows? You'll have to keep uh, subbed uh, for that one. Rate this podcast as well. Give us five star rating. Help us get found by other Borough fans. Switch your alarms on um and those little little bells as well because that is great because we'll have so much stuff uh come out over the next couple of days weeks and months but for right now this has been the board breakdown podcast and that was all your 2022 2023 season review in a pod up the board breakdown hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life pretty litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home go to prettylitter.com and use code acast for 20 percent off your first order and a free cat toy terms and conditions apply see site for details mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market 